If we haven't met, my name is Todd, and just thank you so much for being with us today. And I'm going to start with a question. What do you want to be set free from? Like what, what long-term stronghold has chains on your life that you just can't seem to break? And if there were a path to freedom, would you take it? And would you take it even if it wasn't what you preferred? So in 2019, I read a book about a worldwide legend, Nelson Mandela. If you don't know his story, get this book, his autobiography. You need to read it. But also, he was a huge part of ending apartheid in South Africa. If you're unfamiliar with apartheid, it was systematic government-sanctioned racism there that he helped end. And he played a pivotal role in that. And sometimes when we hear about people like Nelson Mandela, we focus on the impact at the end, and we focus on what he did at the end, but what about the 27 years that he spent in prison? What about all the time before he got caught and put in prison, and all of those years of struggle? And even once he was released, what about the gap between his release and his election as president? So Nelson Mandela did not want us to overlook those aspects of the struggle, so he gave his autobiography this apt title, Long Walk to Freedom. As I was reading through the Exodus, the book of Exodus, the Holy Spirit led me to this book, and I realized that's the kind of journey that God wants to take us on. So today we're beginning a new series called The Long Walk to Freedom, because all of us want to be set free. At the risk of overstating it, all of us probably want to be set free from something. But when it comes to freedom, I think with good intentions, we've been misled. We've been taught to expect that freedom always comes in a flash. Now, I want to clarify, freedom can come in a flash. Like we serve a God who with one word spoke and light broke through the darkness. We worship a Jesus who walked around and with one touch, sometimes with one word, would tell the blind man he could see, would tell the lame man to get up and walk. But he doesn't always work that way. There's a line in a song we sing, and I love this song, and it says this, one word from you, things change on your authority. I mean, that is true. That is true according to Jesus, that is true according to God's word, that with one thing, things change, one word, things change, but I think we've been told that with one word, everything changes, that all of a sudden with one word, we'll be free from the addiction, and we won't ever even want it again, and man, come on, Jesus, move in that way. I hope that's your story. I hope that he does that for us, but what if he doesn't? What if for a lot of us, our journey to freedom looks more like Nelson Mandela's long walk to freedom. Are we willing to go on that long walk? Recently, as in last year, Whitney and I discovered that we had some cousins. That's pretty cool when you discover, I've got some cousins we didn't know about. And and Rich is one of those cousins, and we were sitting at Dos Bros. He's over here, but I'm not going to embarrass him. I'm just going to look in the opposite side of the room. But um, we were at Dos Bros. A few weeks ago, having lunch. Dos Bros, anybody? I expected more from... Dose, I mean, come on, like, it's 11.15, I'm a little hungry by now, okay? So we're at Dose Bros, which is just always a good thing. We're having lunch, and he, and he talks to me about the concept of repentance. 
See, the word repent means a change of mind that results in a change of action. And if you dig into the language of the New Testament Greek, the word picture repentance is a 180 degree change. That we're going one direction and then suddenly we're going a different direction. And what Rich helped me see is that sometimes we think of repentance only in terms of that 180 degree change. We think that all 180 degrees have to happen at once. Like all of a sudden, boom, now I am following Jesus. I'm never going that way again. What he helped me see is sometimes repentance looks like this. Just a little, couple degrees, couple more degrees, couple more degrees, couple more degrees, boom, the full 180. So will we celebrate each degree? And now let's think about freedom. Look, we all want freedom in a flash. I hope that freedom comes in a flash. God can do that. It might be that all of a sudden today, boom, and you're free and you never look back. But for a lot of us, the long walk to freedom is going to look like this. Take a step towards it. Take a few steps towards it. I go backwards. (laughs) I take 20 steps. Ooh, big change. I go backwards again. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And if we're anything like Nelson Mandela, 27 years later, we're free. So are we willing to go on the long walk towards freedom no matter how long it takes? And this raises a question. Why would God operate like this? If God can set us free in an instant, why doesn't he do that all the time? I I, I don't know. That's a question that I have. In fact, in um, Tyler Staten's book called Praying Like Monks and Living Like Saints, he points out that Jesus healed a man from leprosy while still living in a world filled with leper colonies. That Jesus healed a blind man on the same day that another baby was born blind. A question I've asked is Jesus heals a man by a pool and this man had been lame for 38 years and he heals him and then walks right past several other people that also need healing. And then Tyler Staten also points out that we serve a God who displays the power to heal And yet he chooses personal suffering as the path to final healing. Have you thought about the gospel like that? That Jesus is God and he has all power to heal and yet he chose to suffer, to be tortured and executed for our sins so we could experience final, ultimate healing. Why does God work like this? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus didn't stay dead and that he conquered death and rose from the dead to guarantee that freedom is possible. And so here's what we know. Jesus said, hey, I rose from the dead. I kept that promise because he predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. And he says, here's my next promise. I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to restore all things. I'm going to right all the injustices. And I am going to make everything the way it should be. Healing will come. So what we need to understand is that freedom is our future. Yet our future might not arrive on our schedule. So are we willing to walk towards the future that God has for us on his timetable and not ours? And that is the invitation of this series. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three chains that we got to deal with on the walk to freedom. 
I'll tell you the one for today, a little bit later on, but next week, we're gonna talk, be talking about identity and insecurity. Week three, we're gonna talk about hurry and express more of our frustration while God doesn't work on our timetable. So we'll get there in week three. But would we prioritize these next three weeks? And even if over three weeks it's just this, would we realize that three weeks from now, we could be closer to freedom than we are right now? We go on a long walk towards freedom. And our text for this series is the Exodus. So if you want to turn in your Bible, paper, or digital copy to the Exodus, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 1. This story is, is fundamental. In fact, one scholar noted that we know the Exodus story is a priority because of how often it is quoted and cited by other biblical authors. Like this story shows up over and over and over again. So parents, we have to teach our kids the Exodus story. As a church, we've got to know the Exodus story because this story is foundational to understanding who God is. And this story is gonna show us a path to freedom. So before we dive in today, a little context of, of what's going on before we hop into this scene is that God's people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they're, they're in Egypt. Now, when they got to Egypt, that was actually a good thing. God tells the best stories. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture is the story of Joseph. I'm hoping we're gonna get to dive into Joseph in 2024. But God took what people meant for evil and he turned it into good and he saved not only his people but really brought salvation to a whole lot of the known world through Joseph. So when God's people land in Egypt, it's good. But it's no longer good at this point. Because it says there's a king that takes the throne, a new pharaoh, and this pharaoh does not remember Joseph. In other words, there's probably been a regime change here, okay? There's probably a, a new dynasty that's trying to erase the memories of the old dynasty. And what happens is he says in verse nine, look, this new king said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So, hey, this is not good. So verse 11, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they bought Pithom and Ramses to store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. The first obstacle towards the path of freedom is implied in verses nine and 10 and stated explicitly in verse 12, and it's this, fear. If we're gonna be free, we have to deal with the obstacle called fear because Pharaoh is operating out of fear. Listen to what he says. He says, hey guys, they're getting too numerous. What are we gonna do? What if somebody attacks and they turn against us? And then it says when they become even more numerous, it's explicit, Pharaoh is filled with dread. And so he's acting out of fear. So what kind of fear are you and I acting out of? Now, as we talk about fear, there's a couple things we need to understand. The first being, we will be afraid, and that's okay. It's not like if I just feel fear, oh, I'm sinning, oh, no, 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 it's, it's natural to feel afraid. In fact, Nelson Mandela in his book, speaking about his journey, wrote this about bravery. He said, the brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. 
We're all going to feel afraid at times, but it's about facing and conquering that fear. In fact, Whitney and I talked to our boys about, hey, it's normal to be afraid. This is normal to be scared. Let's face our fears. We try to lead them to do that. So so we're going to feel afraid. And the other thing we need to understand is there's some fear that's actually beneficial to us. Like, I'm going to make an assumption about you, but I'm assuming that you are afraid of the pain that would happen if you touched, touched a hot stove. Anybody afraid of that? And therefore, today, when you get home and you're making lunch, you will refrain from touching the hot stove. If you're not afraid of that, don't try it. Take our word for it. You do not want to burn yourself. This fear is good. There's also other types of fear that don't affect our everyday lives. Like, I'm afraid of heights, and I'm not looking for freedom from that. I'm fine with my fear of heights. Like, it does not affect my daily life. Now, I'm not going to rock climb. That's okay. I I know some of you guys like rock climbing. I'm not going to. I don't even have time to climb. It's fine. It doesn't affect me. I'm going to stay afraid of heights. Maybe it'll keep me alive longer than you guys who rock climb. I'm just saying. It's not a big deal. But here's the thing. There is fear that's debilitating. We're talking about the type of fear that affects and often even drives our decision-making. Like, when we are operating out of a mode of fear where fear is in the driver's seat of our lives. And this kind of fear, it gets worse in the darkness, doesn't it? Sometimes it's between 2 and 5 a.m. You can't go back to sleep because it's just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And it's affecting us. I will list a few things, but I probably don't even need to because most of us already know what that fear is. Maybe it's relational, fearing the loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the beginning of a new relationship. There's all kinds of fears that can come packaged with relationships. Or maybe it's the fear of losing your job or financial difficulties or what it would be like to start a new job. We all have these fears, and sometimes these fears become the driver of our lives. Or maybe you're just going through the day, and then all of a sudden, Something happens and fear just derails you because that happens to me. As I was processing and preparing for this talk, a question I ask myself is, or or something I want to do is I want to let the word get in me before it gets in others through me. So part of my system is I have to ask myself, like, what is the Holy Spirit teaching me through this? So as I began to pray about that and reflect on that, I'm, I'm not necessarily like a fearful person. So at first, I was like struggling to figure, okay, where is this hitting me? And then I realized that I hurt my closest relationships. I hurt Whitney and I hurt my family and our boys when I overreact out of stress. And a lot of times, the reason I overreact out of stress, the root issue is fear. For example, this has happened multiple times in my life. One of our kids throws up. Before I can even get to the bathroom to take care of them, I've already thrown up five times. Everybody's sick in the house. We're all going to miss school. I'm going to miss work. Whitney's going to miss work. We don't have time to miss work. What are we going to do? We just got it again. We cycled through. You know what's happened? Cycled through a second time, and all this stuff's happening, and I'm so stressed out, and all I need to do is go take care of my kid and serve them. But I'm paralyzed by fear. I suspect that's not just my story. Because see, what fear does is fear pulls us out of the present. I was talking to a good friend of mine, and we were having a conversation about a book we've both read called The Fearless Mind, which is about sports performance psychology. And 
He just made this statement that resonated with me. He said, anxiety and fear exist in the past and the future. The only way to fight them is to be in the present. That's so true and really hard to do. (laughs) So before we talk about how to do that, let's just acknowledge that if we don't fight fear, it's going to wreak havoc in our lives. Fear causes damage. But this could easily become self-centered, couldn't it? oh, I I need to be free from fear because this is my issue and I want to be better. No, no, fear hurts others. Think about the Exodus story. Have you ever considered all the loss of life that happened in the Exodus story that could have been prevented? I mean, there's so many plagues and if you don't know the story, we're gonna get there. There's these plagues and the firstborn dies and there's all kinds of loss of life in the Exodus story. And have you ever thought the whole root of it is Pharaoh's fear? He was operating out of fear and people died. And it was tragic. And I'm not saying people are going to die, but what I am saying is that if we let fear sit in the driver's seat of our lives, it will hurt others. This will happen. In fact, we see that happen with Pharaoh. I'm not going to pretend like he's an angel, but he does something that's just atrocious. And I'm just wondering, would he have done this if not for fear? Look with me at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. This is unspeakably awful. Fear is driving him. But notice what happens. It says, the midwives, however, feared God. Whoa, so there's a different kind of fear in here. Fear God. We're going to get to that in just a minute. They feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Okay, so they're not afraid of Pharaoh. They're fearing God and they disobey Pharaoh and obey God. Okay, what's going on here? They choose life. Verse 18, then it says, then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? We have to understand, this is like getting called not into the principal's office, but the emperor's office. He is the most powerful person in their world, arguably in the world. So you expect them to be like, oh, we're sorry, it won't happen again, I'm so sorry. That's not how they are at all. They're not afraid of him. In fact, and please, this is funny, people. Sometimes we get so serious reading the Bible that we miss the humor. Like what they say back to Pharaoh is funny. Verse 19, the midwives answered Pharaoh. I mean, here's the deal, Pharaoh. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. I mean, we just hear like she's in labor and we're trying to go and it's like, oh my goodness, there's a baby. And we just go, oh my goodness, there's a baby. And the Egyptian women, they're just slower. I mean, that seems like an Egyptian problem. I can't help you there. (laughs) This is amazing. It's funny. They don't fear Pharaoh because in the next verse it says, God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So how do we fight back against the fear that holds us captive? We replace fear of whatever with fear of God. We replace fear, fill in the blank, with fear of God, which raises a great question. What does it mean to fear God? Does it mean that we should have walked into this place like shaking all over? See, in the Hebrew, which is the language that's written in, 
The word, the word fear speaks about being um, honoring, reverencing, and standing in awe. They actually use the same word to also speak of like shaking in your boots. But we're talking about when it's fear of God, it's not that we're just shaking our boots and so afraid that if I step here, will he smite me? No, 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 it's not that kind of fear. N.T. Wright compares it to, if you've ever been somewhere and you've stepped into a building, especially like a big cathedral that's been around for like a thousand years, and you step into this place, you're just like, whoa. And you don't run out of it. You're actually, you want to walk more into it. But you also know, I got to mind my P's and Q's right here. There's some things I should and shouldn't do because of the awe and reverence I feel in this great space. That's what it's talking about with God. In fact, this couple weeks ago, one of our elders, Randy Gordon, led our prayer time before our elder meeting, and he just led us to pray about and focus on the fear of God. He's reading a book by Michael Reeves called Fear and Trembling, and it uses a Spurgeon quote in that book where Charles Spurgeon described the fear of God as being quakingly delighted. That's pretty good, isn't it? Like you're like quakingly drawn in. He also says this fear of God, it's not a fear that causes us to run away. It's a fear that causes us to fall face down in worship. So maybe this definition would help you. Fear of God can be described as being blown away by his grandeur that we're in his presence and we're just blown away by how big he is and how great he is and how holy he is and suddenly we're realizing he is other and I am not other and I am just so blown away by your grandeur, God, that I'm just gonna worship you. And I'm not running away from you. I'm, I'm gonna step back. I'm not gonna act crazy in your presence, but I'm also drawn in to know you more. And in the Bible, fear of God is not only recommended, it's, it's prescribed to us. Like we should fear God. In Proverbs chapter one, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise, or the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then in chapter nine, verse 10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So fear of God is important. If you're still wondering what it is, Jesus gives a very illuminating teaching on fear of God in Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 10. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he starts off and says, so do not be afraid of them. We got to make sure we understand the statement. Do not be afraid is actually the most common command in all of scripture. This should give you hope, but you feel like I can never be victorious over fear if we couldn't be victorious over fear, Jesus wouldn't have said, don't be afraid. Now, are we gonna relapse? Are we gonna fall down? Are we gonna find ourselves being held captive to fear again? Yes, but God is not a God who says, figure it out. He reaches down and picks us back up. So he says, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid of them. Who is them? In this setting, them are people who are literally going to persecute and kill Jesus' audience. Like he's talking to disciples who are going to be martyred for their faith. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of the people who will execute you. Why does he say that? For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roof. Now, at first we're like, Jesus, could you be a little bit more clear, clear here? Uh, 
you're not really convincing me to not be afraid. But if you dig in, this is incredibly powerful. He says, nothing is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, here's how you cannot be afraid. Zoom out and know that in the end, light will expose all things. Every injustice will be exposed and dealt with by God. All the sin will experience the wrath of God. Like God will make things right. In the end, we're following Jesus, that's gonna be exposed. And he's got us by the blood that he spilled on the cross. And we don't have to face his wrath because he died for us. But we can also know that every single sin and injustice and wrong, he will deal with. It's all going to be exposed, so we can find confidence in that. We can find confidence how it's going to end. And then he says this, and this makes a whole lot of sense. He says, so do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. This is powerful. He says, look, they can execute you, but they can't touch your soul. They may have physical power over you, but they have no eternal impact on you. And at this point, I'm tracking with Jesus. I'm like, all right, this is good. And then Jesus says something that I'm like, um, what? Because then he says, rather be afraid. Time out. What? You just said, do not be afraid. Like the most common command in scripture, don't be afraid. Then you say, be afraid? What are you talking? Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then it's like he didn't even say it. Verse 21, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground. Pause. Jesus didn't say it like this, but here's how I read it. Just because I I read it like this, that Jesus is like, come on, guys, let me just tell you. I want to encourage you today. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't touch the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? I mean, come on, guys. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than the many sparrows. And I'm like, what is going on? And if you don't follow Jesus and you struggle with the legitimacy of Scripture, passages like this are why I believe in the authenticity and veracity of Scripture. Because why would you put this in here? Because Jesus said it. Look, if somebody edited this, they're either deleting this or at least moving it to a more appropriate scene. (laughs) This does not make sense here because it's what he actually said. Matthew was an eyewitness listening to Jesus say this. So what does Jesus mean by don't be afraid, but be afraid? To to understand this, we also have to reflect on how Jesus taught us to pray. That when Jesus taught us to pray, he said this, start this way. Start by saying, our Father who is in heaven. So the starting point for prayer is to realize that God knows the very hairs on our head, that we are worth more than the sparrows, and look how he cares for the sparrows. The starting point for prayer is to realize, man, he is our dad. And in the very next line, Jesus says, and then say this, hallowed be your name. In other words, you are holy, you are transcendent, you are other, and I find myself backing up and standing in awe of you and getting lost at your grandeur and just worshiping you because you're holy and yet you're my dad and you're holy and you're my dad and you're holy and I'm kind of fearful, but that fear leads me to want to know you more because you're my dad. Do you see that it's a both and? Do you see what Jesus is inviting us to discover about God? So what he's saying here is we need to understand the power of God, that he does have eternal power over us, and the one with eternal power tells us to call him dad. Come on. This is not, this does not contradict. It actually shows how he's so majestic. 
that this is who God is. And so he says, let's replace fear of whatever with fear of God, the God who is holy and the God who is our Father who invites us to know him. And when we begin to fear God, we are taking a step on the long walk to freedom from fear. And if we keep growing in our fear of God, what we're doing is we're inviting God to come through in ways that we simply could not. In fact, that's what happens as we go back to the Exodus story, because it gets worse. What Pharaoh actually says is, okay, if the midwives won't take care of these babies, then he tells, hey, if you're an Egyptian, you see a Hebrew baby boy, kill it. He's going crazy. Such atrocities. And in chapter two, verse one, it says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Okay, I do not recommend hiding babies, but have you ever tried to keep a baby quiet in a very reverent environment? You ever tried that? Look, it, it's all predicated on what the baby wants to do. Like they don't have impulse control at one month and two months and three months. When they want to cry, babies cry. So she keeps him hidden for three months. And then it says the next verse, which makes so much sense when she saw, or it says, but when she could hide him no longer, I'm like, you made it three months. Good job. That's amazing. They're trying to kill your baby boy and you hit him for three, like a bravo to that. So it says, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. This is a really interesting car seat. <laughs> then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Um, somebody called child services. So she puts this baby in this car seat or boat rather and floats him down the Nile that has crocodiles. Like Google it right now, this river has crocodiles. And then she says, hey, sister, watch your baby brother get eaten. Like, this is crazy. Trauma is gonna happen. Why does she do this? Well, it goes back to the midwives. The midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And Moses' mom picks up where the midwives left off. She does this crazy thing because she's like, I am not going to let my baby be just murdered. I'm not going to give in to fear to Pharaoh. I'm going to fear God. And here's what happens when we begin to fear God. We see how big he is. We begin to realize that God's bigger than Pharaoh, that Pharaoh thinks he's in charge, but God is sovereign over the whole universe, not just this little Egyptian empire. And when God asks us to do crazy things, like for her, it was put her baby in a crocodile-infested water and float it down the river, we trust him because here's what fear of God does. Fear of God invokes trust in God. When we get lost in his grandeur, suddenly begin to trust him more because he's big and he's got it. And when he asks us to take a step of faith, we do it because we don't know what the result's gonna be, but we know he is the God over the results. And she does this crazy thing and it keeps the path way to freedom going for God's people. I mean, the story is amazing. Pharaoh's own daughter disobeys her dad and says, this baby's cute, I'm gonna adopt him. And then turns to the sister and says, hey, do you know anybody that can nurse this child? And the sister says, yeah, his mom. And Moses' mom gets paid to nurse her baby boy. This is crazy. 
That's what God does. We fear Him. We trust Him. He orchestrates the long walk to freedom in ways that we could never imagine, that we could never do on our own. And we're going to be talking about the story for the next two weeks, but just to skip to the end, to, to a summary statement, to tie this, it says in Exodus 14, 31, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Look, I didn't make it up. I didn't make it up that fear invokes trust in God. No, this is what happened. We fear God. It leads us to trust God. And what happened between chapter 2 and chapter 14 is God has a mighty display of his power and he shows off and a mighty display of his power and he shows off and a mighty display of his power and he shows off. And at the end of the story, God's people have caught up with the midwives. They've actually just gotten to the place the midwives were at the very beginning of the story where they feared God and put their trust And what's amazing is, yes, they saw all these displays of his power, but they never saw God conquer death. And that's what we've had the privilege of witnessing. Like, like our story is not just the exodus. Our story is the gospel, that Jesus lived, historical figure, that he died, a historical death, that he rose from the dead, historical evidence of an empty tomb. And since God conquered death, we can know that he can conquer any fear, any obstacle that we can face. Because think about it, death is the great foe, death is the great fear, and Jesus faced it and he overcame it. And so we can fear the one who's greater than death and be lost in his grandeur and follow him into the life he offers as he leads us on the long walk to freedom. So how does this play out on Tuesday? How does this play out on Wednesday at 3 a.m. when you can't go back to sleep because the debilitating fear has woken you up once again? What I'm going to do for the rest of this time is I'm going to give you some scripture And we're actually going to practice a time of prayer that all of us could do in our homes, wherever we're at. We could do this proactively at six o'clock in the morning when we first wake up. We could do this reactively when we're face down in fear at 3 a.m. But part of us being a public church is say, hey, here's some tools to help you fight against fear. And the biggest tool we can give you is the word of God. Because Ephesians 6 says that our offensive weapon in any fight is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So what I want to invite you to do is to take your phones out and to take a picture of the next several slides. I'm going to talk through it, and then I'm going to lead us to actually pray this, and we are going to fight together. I encourage you, just take pictures. You can go back and write it down in your journal. Write it down however you need to. But here's what it looks like for us to actively fight back against fear. First, we name our fear. Because we can't fight what we won't face. You know, fear rips us out of the present But we also need to make sure that we're present with our fear, enough to name it and identify it. For for some of us, that also means that we may want to dig a little deeper. Say, okay, God, what's causing that fear? But the first step is we've got to name our fear. The second thing is we're going to start with a don't be afraid command. If this is the most common command in all scripture, then let's start with Joshua 1.9, which says, don't be afraid. And we're going to start there and fight back with the word. 
And then the next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna remind ourselves that freedom is possible. Because you may be thinking, I don't know if this is even possible. Well, 1 John 4.18 reminds us that it is. That freedom is our future. That future just may not arrive on our schedule. And then we're gonna ask to grow in fear of God. Exodus 1.17, we're gonna read about the midwives' faith and pray something simple like this. God, help me to fear you like the midwives did. Ask him for it. As we ask for that, then we're gonna get lost in his grandeur. It's gonna lead us to fear him. We're gonna read Romans 8, 31 and 32 and 35 through 39 so we can just get lost in his grandeur. Our eyes can be lifted up beyond our circumstances to focus on him. And then we're gonna let fear of God lead us to trust in God. Psalm 56, verses three and four. We're gonna be able to say, God, I'm afraid. And when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And then, Finally, we're going to declare freedom over fear, even if there's a long walk to that freedom. In 2 Timothy 1.7, we're going to say, hey, freedom will happen. Freedom is my future. And we're going to declare that. And I'm telling you, you can do this anytime. So I'm just going to lead us through that right now. In fact, those scriptures are going to be back on the screen. Those, those, if you missed one, you can write it down. But I just want to invite you to join me and let's fight fear. And if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't really have anything I fear. Trust me, somebody on the row that you're sitting in has fear and there's something inside you that you just don't realize yet. So you're going to go ahead and fight, fight for your future self. And you can fight for people that are sitting next to you. Let's battle fear. So first, name your fear. Just name it. Father, we can't fight what we won't face, so we just name this. We let your lie expose that fear within us. And then we're going to start with a don't be afraid command. Joshua 1.9 says this, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, we're just reminding ourselves of the truth of your word, that you tell us that we don't have to be afraid, not because we're awesome, but because you are with us. We anchor in that. And then we're going to remind ourselves that freedom is possible. 1 John 4, 18 says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. So where fear is directing us, I pray that your perfect love would drive it out, Jesus. And you can do that. Thank you that it is possible to be free from fear. And then we're going to go to Exodus 1, 17. Because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So God, give us faith. Give us fear like the midwives. Help us to fear you like the midwives feared you. And to lead us towards that fear of God, we're just gonna take a moment and get lost in his grandeur by just reading in Romans chapter eight says this in verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? God, we claim your truth that since you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, you will give us everything else. We know that. 
And so we put this very raw, real question before you, Father. Can anything ever separate us from your love, Jesus? It doesn't mean that you no longer love us if we have trouble or calamity or or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with faith. We come to your scriptures that say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. And we let you answer that question as you say, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through you, Jesus, because you love us. And so we are convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth belief, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from your love, Father, that is revealed in you, Jesus. You are our Lord. So now as we're lost in your grandeur, we're just gonna declare our trust in you. And we're gonna let fear of God lead to trust in God. Psalms 56, verses three and four. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, Father. I praise you, God, for what you have promised. I trust in you. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals, what can people do to me? And then finally, we're going to declare freedom over fear. This is our future, even if it does not arrive on our timetable. In 2 Timothy 1.7, God, you tell us that you have not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Help us just to take one step away from that fear and timidity and to take another step into your power and your love and your self-control that you give us, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So public worship is going to lead us in one song. They're going to come up. And look, what we just did, you can do. Every single one of us can use the word of God to fight back against fear. So let's do that. And maybe you're here today, you're watching, and you realize, man, I I don't follow Jesus. He died and rose again, but I've never surrendered to him. Then we invite you to do that. Talk to him. Tell him you want to surrender and follow him. If you have questions, go to the prayer corner. If you're online, email us prayer at publicchurch.com because when we surrender to him, he puts his power, his spirit within us. We're no longer fighting on our own strength. We're fighting with his resurrection power in us. And here's how we're going to end today. We're going to leverage musical worship as our weapon in this fight. And we're going to sing one more song. And as we do... We get a few moments to fight back. Sing for the person beside you. Sing for your family member or friend that's not here. Sing over your own life. And if you need to go back and pray, go to the prayer corner. If you need to get on your knees or just stand, let's fight. Because God is going to lead us towards freedom.